0: This is Tom King, the writer of Kite Man. You're listening to the Top 5 Podcast.
1: Hell yeah! Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. People talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have Josh45.
2: What is happening? And CBS. Which would be me. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really lackluster introduction. Oh, I don't know, man. Announcer man's not here this week. That's true. It makes it a waste. Which you is know, I'm so man. Which is sad. See, so today we're doing episode number one fifteen. Yeah! Right. Is that right? I think so. I was in one, on one fourteen. Did you guys do it in between?
1: No. No.
2: There you go.
1: Yeah. All right. So one fifteen. Um, so today we're going to be doing. Uh, let's see, bookwise. We got an interview also. Um so bookwise we're doing Venom number two. This is from the 2018 series by Donny Cates and uh Ryan Stegman. Follow that up with uh, Archie Comics for Vampronica number two. After that we'll have a walk through Hell Number One. This is from uh, Aftershock Comics. Uh we'll follow that up with Man Is Still Number One?
2: X Files and then Man is Still Number um, One. Right, right. So X
1: Files, X Files Case Files Number One from IDW, and we'll end it with uh, Man is Still Number One from DC. Wow, that was harder than it usually is. <clears throat> but before that, do we have any news, Josh? News and information. Word. You
2: like one of those ticker things?
1: Well, usually we usually have Ross in the dog pile, but Ross has had a yeah. We've had a fair amount of dog pile being busy doing dog things, I guess. Whatever that means.
2: Ross comic book died. That's not true. That means he's dead in the comics, but he'll be, oh. back. He'll be back eventually. Oh. <laughs> he died a heroic death and he'll be back eventually. Because oh, everybody comes back.
1: Man, that's almost true, I guess, for the most part. Anyhow, so Josh, news and comics, anything?
2: News and information. There's going to be a new look. Guardians of the Galaxy, most notably, a cool character. I kind of don't want to tell anybody that the issue that the issue he's going to be in, but so don't, yeah, don't don't. It's a secret, so you got to read some uh, cosmic books. You might have to read a couple of them. I will give you a hint. It takes place in space. That's all the only <laughs> hint I'm giving you. But a new character is going to be appearing, and he seems real cool. The mighty Juggerduck.
1: Duck. bum, bum.
2: A juggernaut, Howard the Duck.
1: <laughs> That's crazy.
2: I don't know. That's all. That's. Uh, Without really revealing too much and making you guys all worked up and trying to like figure out what book he's going to debut and give it away, it's just going to be awesome. So there's that. Word. We had some other
1: weird news I don't want to talk about, but I'm going to mention that someone spoiled it anyway because they're jerks.
2: If you want to hear the spoiler um, of what happens in the Batman Catwoman wedding issue, then go read. Um, what did I say? The New York Times, I think. New York Times. Yeah, of all places. Good job, D.C. The July 1st version of the New York Times, you'll know, get the spoiler on that if you want it to be spoiled, but it's um, a pretty pretty crazy big thing.
1: Yeah, there's a big event going
2: on. might be fly. lying, though. It might be lying.
1: No, that's not how the New York Times works. How do you know? They might just be just self-righteous
2: bastards. Um, The mighty Joe Quesada. I don't think he's that mighty. I'm not actually not a big fan <laughs> of him, but... Uh, I like him as an artist.
1: That's true. He's a good
2: artist. I do like his art, which means good things for this news: is that he's going to do a variant cover of Fantastic Four number one with Galactus on the front, and it looks really, really cool.
1: Well, that should be I, neat. I
2: mean, I, I mean, I I don't have followed Marvel super closely for, as as a version so I don't know when the last time he did something, but it seemed like it was a big, big, uh, big deal. So
1: yeah, we get see his covers every once in a while, but I mean, it is a big deal when he does one. But generally, they wind up being like one in hundred, so normal people being able to get a hold of them or whatever is not. Not the easiest thing in the world, but that makes them more chase-worthy.
2: Covered chases at this point seem to, like, there's all those artists are doing, like, their, all their own variants, and they're doing, like, 10 different variants on their own websites and selling them for, like, 50 bucks a piece. Yeah, there's a fair amount of that right now so, going on in the industry, which is getting to be kind of annoying. Next on the list, the big spider crossover is going to be called Spider-Geddon, yeah. and they're teasing multiple, multiple deaths, which I don't know what that means, so. Well, there's a bunch of spider people now, so.
1: Yeah, well, ever since the Spider-Verse and the Venom-Verse, we've got a whole lot of different versions of A-list characters that are from other universes with Spider- or Venom symbiotes. So when they say death, it could easily be a whole slew of those. And those would be the type that you leave dead, probably, considering they're add-ons from other universes. But real recently, we had a death in uh, Spider-Man 800. So I guess we'll see if that one sticks or not. And that was a pretty pretty prolific character. So, yeah, prolific, popular character. ...for his short time as a Venom. So, I guess we'll see what that winds up being, really. I mean, character-wise, there is a slew. There's a whole handful of Spider-People. I mean, we have Peter Parker, uh, Eddie Brock, Ben Reilly, uh, Spider-Gwen, the other Spider-Gwen... Silk. Silk. Miles Morales. Miles Morales. Uh, Aurelia, the uh, Spider-Girl. And that doesn't even count characters that are like completely out of other universes... So Spider-Gideon's getting his own book, which is the, uh, like, punk rock British Spider-Man, the one with the little spike mohawk. So he's getting his own miniseries for a minute. That could easily be one of them, I guess.
2: I hope it's Miles Morales.
1: Well, then I can kill Miles. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Of all the characters, I feel like probably Peter Parker, Miles Morales, and Spider-Gwen are safe. And probably Eddie Brock. Everybody else. Man. I don't know. Good luck with that. There's been people talking There might be a, they might be leaning towards the idea of a Silk movie, but if you're going to pick one of those two, I'd say you aim at Gwyn and not Silk, but it's only because Gwyn's more popular. But the idea of people understanding multiple universes and movies, I guess most comic book companies feel like that's not possible, but maybe DC's leaning in that direction with the idea of Flashpoint being a Flash movie. Plus, then they can reboot at the start. So I guess we'll see.
2: Anyhow... Um, this should interest you. Hmm. Um, M. Night Shyamalan's next. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. His next installment of his um, Unbreakable trilogy. Yep. I guess is what you would call it. Um, Glass is going to debut at San Diego Comic Con. It should
1: be freaking awesome. So, so, hopefully, it's not a nightmare to try information on her into because that'd be really cool to sort of see.
2: Yep. And another... Movie news, Sean Gunn says that he will will be in Infinity, or Avengers number four.
1: Hmm, okay. That's, okay.
2: Well, you know, he's, oh, uh, what's his name? He's one of the, one of the Guardians guys. He was.
1: He's, Will Yondu's assistant. Yeah. The other, and he's Rocket Raccoon's body capture, so when he says he's going to be in it, is he in there as Rocket Raccoon body capture? Or is he in there, because he technically was in the first one, because he's Rocket Raccoon. Motion capture no, stuff. Him as that character, let me... as the uh, shoot. What's his name? He's the guy who gets Yondu's um, mohawk after Yondu is dead. Oh man, I don't remember the character name. He's his first mate, and then turns on him, and then regrets turning on him. <sighs> Dang it! Yeah, I don't remember his name. Character wise, Craglin. Craglin. There you go.
2: Craglin. Nice. He returns. Hmm, um, that's interesting. There's a massive rumor, I'm not sure how much they've confirmed so far, but um, they said that Patrick Stewart is returning as Jean-Luc Picard in a new Star Trek series.
1: Ooh, I had not heard about that.
2: He's one of the ones that they supposedly confirmed, they got like four or five shows and slash movie things all in the works huh? in the Star wow. Trek universe, so... That is neat. And... So this is just early, early rumor, but it's pretty, they say in pretty heavily kind of a thing is the Avengers number four it will might be called Endgame. Might be the yeah. title.
1: Well, that, sounds, that will make sense, I guess. Huh. Interesting. That's a, oh, well, okay. That's an interesting idea. I guess we'll see.
2: Yeah. It seems about all I have right now.
1: Right. Say, I don't think there's any there's not a whole lot of other stuff that's new new. I mean this this coming week we have uh, the new Captain America number one coming out for the Fourth of July, which is pretty cool. Um, being written by Tanisha Coates, the same guy who's been writing Black Panther, so it'll be interesting to see what he does with that. But yeah, I mean book wise, release wise, Fourth Fourth of July is going to have quite a few different things. Unfortunately, a few of them have been spoiled already. Silly internet.
2: In action figure news, they um, the next Marvel Legends wave. They're doing a Deadpool wave. And it's got him in an X-Men suit with a crazy sombrero hat thing. <laughs> okay, that's funny. And an alternate head. They have him in his boxer shorts. That's one of the figures. The Build-A-Figure is... What's the big pterodactyl guy?
1: Oh, uh, Sauron?
2: Sauron? Sauron, I think. Yeah, something is. like that, yeah. yeah. I think that's the Build-A-Figure character. Well, that's crazy. We haven't um, seen him
1: in a while. Yeah, there's a... Uh, like in anything. He's basically a pterodactyl with pants. Well, Shorts. Because <laughs> he's not, they not full pants, but
2: <laughs> um, like Daisy Duke style almost. Lady Deadpool. That's cool. And I don't remember, uh, Wolverine. I think that was it. That's all I remember. Huh. Right hand. All right. But um, they're kind of were hush hush on some of, the fig- some of the characters. Also, who's the Russian guy? Glosses? No, the bad guy. October or Omega Red. Oh, Omega Red. Omega Red will yeah. be one. X twenty three and Bishop in his nineties costume, all in that wave. Wow, that's crazy! With Soron build a figure,
1: huh? I'll be damned. So, well, it's been a while since we had a mega red figure. That's cool too.
2: No, yeah. dang. They're also doing a Marvel Studios: The First Ten Years wave with a uh, a really cool red skull. What's the yellow guy from the first Ant Man movie? I'm blanking. Yellow on. Jacket. <laughs> yeah, Yellow Jacket. The yellow isn't his name. Okay. Um, Valkyrie and Thor and Ant Man and their movie costumes. So the movie Valkyrie. Valkyrie. Or no, Va- what's Valkyrie? What's, what's the girl from the first one that was on his team, on Thor's team? Sif. Yeah, they're doing her.
1: They're doing a Sif figure. That's yeah. cool. All right.
2: And then the last Joe Con just happened, and they. If if you if you are into GI Joe's, you know this, and if you don't, they've been doing like a figure subscription service on the official GI Joe um, collector collector club. Collector club. Mm -hmm. Well, they're doing like one final thing, but it's just going to be up for like pre order on the actual thing. You don't have to order the whole wave; you can just order. And they're going to come in two packs, and they're going to do like repaints of a bunch of figures. They're going to do four Tiger Force figures. They're doing my personal favorite that I'm looking forward to is they're doing a Tiger Force hit and run, which was a England exclusive back originally when it was when it was uh, originally made way oh, back that's crazy in the so pretty excited about that but they're gonna try and round out some of the um, teams like they're doing some like a, a couple of Python patrols I think they're kind of round out the ones that haven't come out yet right just the re- they're basically all just repaints but yeah they try and clean up clean it up before they're finished yeah because they're done done so yeah Hasbro takes back over and we'll see how that goes.
1: We'll get a new line of four and a half inch figures for no reason. <laughs> anything to make things harder. Mm. They're almost the same. Almost not quiet mm. jerks. Be like visionaries, cool, but you couldn't do anything with them. Right. Anyway, um, oh, something I was supposed to mention earlier when we were listening to books of things we were doing in this episode. We also have an interview with David Pepos uh, from the Denver 2018 Comic Con. So here, couple, like a month back. Uh, cool thing. He's been nominated for, I think, four or five Ringo Awards. So, for his book, uh, Spencer and Locke, that's the name of the book. So, that's really cool. Um, we have the interview, so actually, we had two of the kids up with us in Denver this year, uh, Joel and Destiny. So, the two of them have their first, like, interview thing with him. And that's really neat. Uh, Spencer and Locke is a really cool book, too. He's actually getting ready to put out a second volume of it as well. Short pitch for the book, uh, basically, If Calvin and Hobbes grew up and became a detective, well, of course, we know Hobbes is his imaginary friend. So, how does that play in the world? maybe he's not really a detective. It's awesome, actually. It's a really good, really good, really good book. Three part, it was only, I think the first run was only three issue miniseries. But yeah, it's pretty awesome. If you get a chance to check it out, you really should. But that's really cool that he's up for those nominations. Because Ringo was an awesome. He was an awesome artist, an awesome guy. did a lot of great work in comics, so it's cool that there's an award after him. I think that's all I got news-wise, and then the tie-in for the interview, I guess. Yeah. Let's move on the books.
0: Just to let you know, there will be spoilers.
1: On to the books. Dun-dun-dun. Venom, number two from the illustrious Marvel comics. Number dose. Yes, number two. Number two. Uh, this is the uh, 2018 Venom. Depending when you're listening to this. Uh is written by Donna Cates and art is by Ryan Stegman, which is no Stegman from the uh Scarlet Spider series or from Superior Spider Man or a whole ton of other stuff he's done for Marvel. And Donna Cates, you should know from Thanos, uh the second half of the uh where they introduced the Cosmic Ghost Rider and um from the Doctor Strange series, two thousand seventeen circa uh, series. Anyhow, decent rider. Uh, good artist also. So basically we pick up with Eddie, um, dead on the floor with a giant hole in his chest. And the Venom symbiote sort of pawing around it, the, the wound. And, uh, this is a pretty big, like, the cliffhanger from issue one is a pretty big cliffhanger, clearly from where it picks up in issue two. And, uh, we have a whole lot of, like, inner monologue for the symbiote, trying to understand why Eddie's the way Eddie is. And part of this is kind of seems rat because I don't really know if there's a whole lot of Eddie Brock story from being a kid. Most of the stuff we know that Eddie Brock comes from whenever he joined the paper as Peter's rival as a photographer. Because so I don't feel like we get a whole lot of other backstory for him. I mean, there's a few other random pieces and random books, I think, but there's never been, like, a kid origin for him. So the cool thing about this is we kind of get pieces of that, like flashes of him being a kid, flashes of him when he was younger and then flashes up when he first gets the symbiote. And the entire time this is going on, we see this giant gaping hole in his chest where, like, ribs are split open, and the symbiote starts rebuilding his skeleton, and eventually it connects to his heart, and we see it basically jump-starting his heart, like pumping it like you would in chest compressions and doing CPR on a person. That's what you call it, right, CPR? Is that what it's called? CBI? No, no, CPI, no, CB, god dang it, <laughs> whenever they're doing CPR, yeah, whenever you do the chest compressions <laughs> on a person, is
2: yeah. that what that's called? Yeah, CPR. Or
1: CPR, when you breathe in their mouth, or is it all the same thing? It's all the same thing? It's all the same thing. Okay. It made me think it was crazy for new, a second. The
2: new um, procedure, though, is just chest compressions, they don't do the mouth thing anymore, I guess my sister said, she's a nurse.
1: No, well, that makes sense, I guess. I don't know why. Probably because they don't want you to get you in diseases and push in a person's chest.
2: The word you're going to turn into a zombie and start like bite your face off. That
1: would be horrible.
2: <laughs> I, think a, I think that's a zombie uh, protocol. I
1: would that's definitely would that. understand that for sure. Bat salts or zombies one or the other. We'll come back to bat salts in a minute. <laughs> later, later on. Anyhow, so from there, we jump to this, what well, looks like a, I don't know, like a warehouse in the middle of nowhere. And there's this old man inside, and we first, we initially see the back of him, and then when we see the front, we realize it's Rex. And Rex is one of this group connected to the soldiers that encountered Venom symbiotes, I guess, in Vietnam. Which is leading to another storyline, which we're getting, I think, I think is a one shot that's called uh, Venom First Symbiote. It might be. I don't, it's either a miniseries or a one shot. But uh the truth being that Venom wasn't the first symbiote on Earth, and these other symbiotes were here way before. And apparently at some point, she'll got a hold of them and started using them to basically make weapons. Uh, but we want to find out that this entire time Rex has been trying to track Eddie, and, uh, well, now Eddie's here, and he takes whoop in Rex's ass. He throws these like giant oil drum out of nowhere at him, which i I'm sure it was in the shadows or something, but it's pretty hilarious when he throws it. Because Rex is just like, no, no, man, you don't understand. He's like, what'd you get me into? And while he's in the process of whipping Rex's ass, we start seeing the red, spinny, like, crazy, glowy symbiote thing start to take over Venom, like Eddie Venom. And partway through the beatdown, he, he tells Rex, you gotta move, you gotta move. And in the room, we have, like, a fireplace that Rex has been backed up to. And Venom basically tells Rex to dive to the ground and he sticks his face into the fire to so, so, to control this red crazy part of the symbiote that we've never seen before.
2: Because that's what beats symbiotes is fire and sonic waves. Sonic
1: waves and fire, yeah. So basically, he sticks his own face in the fire to try to control this thing that's clearly trying to kill Rex, and it is the same thing that probably killed all Rex's friends that also were treated with symbiote stuff. So, from there, like, we go through this whole conversation with Rex and, uh, and Eddie trying to get the story of, like, what Rex sent Eddie into. And we jump to a flashback that basically starts explaining how Rex was in, uh, Vietnam, and his group got sent to take this hill. And in the process, they get caught in crosshairs cross of some snipers. And they decide, well, the only way for us to get out of this is to dig, start dig ourselves a trench so we can try to figure out a way to pinpoint where these snipers are without getting shot. And as they're digging, like every set of dart they move, one of the guys gets picked off. Till eventually, Rex is just like, you know what? If I can try to protect them for a second and give them a chance, of course, as they're digging, eventually they find a whole pile of bodies in the bottom of other guys that have the same problem. So Rex decides to charge these snipers, and he knows he's not going to make it. And he thinks to himself, "Well, maybe my dad will go to war. They'll spend some great story about how as a hero." But all I'm trying to do is buy them a couple more seconds to dig deeper to maybe save their lives because he's tired of seeing everyone else get shot and die. And in the process of charging the hill, he gets shot two or three times and then looks up and sees the air support they called for and realizes that now, even though he feels relief for seeing the, the protection they asked for, that he's going to be directly in the napalm drop zone. And that leads to like this crazy burning flesh in him basically dying, and then he wakes up all burnt up on a hospital bed with guys around and trying to decide what to do with him. And you remember, he, they show a flash scene where we see like the shadow outline of Nick Fury, and he says he remembers Fury telling them to do it to him. And he didn't know why they picked him because he wasn't special, but of course maybe that's why they picked him. And basically what Shield had done is cut off a piece of this older Venom symbiote that was like a giant dragon looking thing, and had been using pieces of it to integrate with soldiers and make them weapons. And this is what basically saved Rex and healed his skin and fixed him. But while he was injected with it, he sees, like, the history of the thing. We have this cool, like, shot of the universe and all this stuff about how the symbiote just flew through the galaxy doing whatever it wanted to do. And eventually we get to see it. And uh, he says, my entire life I've heard this voice in my head, and it's been screaming the same thing. And now I understand what it means. And the sim, symbi- what he's been hearing, they give us a translation of the words, and it says what he's been hearing is God is coming, screaming in his head since the symbiote was injected. And we cut from that to this giant-looking symbiote dragon thing that's in the middle of New York, screwing things up. And of course, that leads to someone to go fight it. And uh, by the time Rex looks around, Eddie's gone. There's another reveal at the end of the book. I mean, the dragon reveal is pretty impressive. but There's another reveal of like a cameo for the next issue. But as far as like a thing story wise, man, it is pretty freaking awesome. And like I've always had a hard time with Eddie Brock being a good guy, but there's been so much time and like so many things have happened to the guy throughout his career as Venom, career as the Anti Venom. Uh, when he was, they had gave him cancer for a little while. and He battled cancer, which part of what led to the Venom symbiote abandoning him in the first place. So getting to where we are now, it's really kind of a cool path. To shape him from just being like your, I'm going to eat your brain, Spider-Man, Venom, tends to where he is now. So like that's all been really cool. I'm pretty impressed with the book's art, but I like Ryan Stigman a lot. I think that guy's awesome. He draws Spider-Mans and Venoms and symbiote stuff. Really great. And Donna Cage has is a pretty good, pretty good writer. I'm interested to see where the rest of the series goes. So yeah, the score-wise, man, I... this particular issue picks up in a really crazy spot. Um, but the idea of seeing all the flashback and like the backstory for Eddie and the backstory for Rex, all super interesting, I think. I give it three and a half. As a standalone issue, yeah, the pickup place is a little rough, but I mean, it's the second issue in the series, so it's supposed to be. Anyhow, yeah, I give it three and a half. That's pretty much all I got. Josh, what do you think about that book? Um,
2: I'm a bad judge because I don't like Venom.
1: Well, Eddie's a hard character to take as a as a hero. That's what I'm saying. Just all
2: the symbiotes in general like bug me. The only time I've actually been a fan of him is when it was um, Flash and he was in space as Venom with Guardians of the Galaxy. I oh, think the that... space Knight stuff. Oh,
1: before the space Knight stuff. Okay.
2: Like when he was he was with the Guardians and hanging out and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I like that. That was pretty cool. Like um, the third incarnation when he was age- still Agent Venom. Um, yeah, I mean, that, but other than that, I'm just like, yeah, it's all right. Like this whole anti-hero, blah blah, whatever. Um, maybe. Seeing Tom Hardy play on the big screen don't change my mind, but I only give it like a two, two and a half. The art was really good. It was, um, other than that, story's like, eh, it's alright. I it just, I'm not, I'm just kind of whatever about it. Like, I wasn't. It's not necessarily because the writing was bad. It was just, I'm not super interested, so it's hard to keep me interested in the character. Like, sure, you know, a Venom guy, so it's we, hard. to The take. writing would have to be fantastic to like really draw me into it, and it was just like,
1: eh. I think at some point I get you in issue one because issue one sets it up pretty good and is.
2: I don't feel like that he did that whole, like, what did you do to us, Why, we aren't this, like, he wasn't doing the like the Venom talk, he was just doing the Eddie talk, so. You well, know,
1: during, during at least the first half of it, it makes sense because Eddie's basically dead. And, like, the all we're hearing is the symbiote's opinion of things, and, like, the symbiote's inner monologue, it's not Eddie's, it's like the symbiote reading Eddie's body and
2: mind while he's
1: basically dead.
2: What I remember in the past, though, when the symbiote talks, he still says we and all that kind of stuff, though. So. Yeah,
1: there's been a lot of... Part of the Flash Thompson storyline, so I don't think... I think probably the, the Venom Space Knight was after the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. There's a lot in there that separated the host and Venom from each other. Wow. So there's a lot of that that got kind of fixed during that storyline. They also visited the Venom home planet. And explained to us that there's something broken in Venom that they fixed as well. Those, so that was in Guardians. That was in Guardians. Yeah, but it, after that, part of the Flash and Venom being two separate things together, that's kind of where it picked up at. Ah, uh, gotcha. So I think that's indicative of just the story. Yeah, if you read it, Venom back in the '90s or 2000, then the concept of two things being one, it, they don't necessarily write in talking that way anymore. Not generally, at least. Anyhow. Okay. Uh so let's move on to let's see what we're doing next. Van
2: Pronica number okay. two. Van Pronica number two. It is written by written and drawn by Greg and Meg Smallwood. Um Greg is the writer and Megan is the artist and color artist. Wait. Yeah, well I think Greg helps as well.
1: I don't know if he does art or not, but I think he's credited that way.
2: Well, this is Megan Smallwood, artist slash cover artist, Greg Smallwood. So maybe Greg just did the cover.
1: Well, there's like three or four covers for it, so yeah. Uh, anyway. Depending which book it is, version of it you got. There was an ABC cover.
2: Anyway, it picks up with uh, Veronica walking through the woods, and um, she's talking about like wanting to call the cops, and she's looking around for a car, which um, CBS explained to me happened in the first one. Yeah, then then to get her where she is, there's
1: basically a giant car wreck where she crashed into Reggie, and both their cars were very totaled. In the process of that, she's fighting Cause a vampire
2: because she, she hit a vampire and smashed it. Yeah, and so she's looking for the cars, and she's looking for um Reggie, Reggie as well. And so she doesn't find anything. There's nothing there, no cars, no nothing. So she's just like, um, I'm gonna go to because her parents got attacked by the vampire in the first one. Yep. So yeah, and then. Anyway, she's like, "I'm gonna go to Archie's house to see if he can help me," and she walks up to the window and sees like that he's on a date with Betty, and they're watching a scary movie, and she's all pissed off. Love triangle, blah blah blah. Typical um, sad affair for the Betty. Arch-
1: Betty's pretending to be afraid. Damn you, Betty!
2: And she's like, "Things Betty's is being all oh, this, this," and Archie's trying to put the moves on her, and so she makes a loud noise to like right as they're about to kiss, and then runs off. And Archie's like, "What was that? I don't even know what that was," and looks out the window. And doesn't see anything. He's like, "Well, I probably woke my parents up anyway, so you should probably go." And then it um, goes to the school, and Veronica's like hiding in the boiler room, and she's crying. So the next morning, you see um, Dilton, the nerdy kid, um, walk down to the boiler room, and Veronica like freaks out, and she like hisses at him with red eyes and all creepy, and uh, he's all scared. And she's like, oh, sorry, I'm just cranky when I wake up. And he's like, what are you doing here on the weekend? You know, like, why are you sleeping in the toilet room?
3: Which is all super
2: weird. And she's like, I don't feel good. And then she passes out. And she's having dreams of seeing, like, Betty and Jughead and Archie's heads on these, like, on these stands. And somebody's asking her to leave and calling her an animal. And she starts turning into, like, a bat monster, like. Oh, yeah, it's pretty crazy looking. All crazy, and they're all like talking trash to where the heads are. And then she wakes up and she's, um, strapped down to a table with like some sort of, she's got like an IV in her and stuff. And Dilton's saying, Hey, I pretty much figured out what, what's wrong with you. I know you're a vampire. And he's like holding a cross at her. And he's like, I'll help you, but you need to not attack me. And she breaks out of the restraints. She's like, Um, yeah, I don't really, I don't have to promise you, but whatever. And he had made her some sort of blood concoction. And they're talking about what to do next, and he t- he told her the whole story. And then he Dilton brings her home to try and because they're gonna try and figure out what to do about the situation. Figure out that if you kill the head vampire, then everything goes back to normal. in most vampire stories,
1: yeah, they go over a whole like batch of um, they talk about the Strigoi and like all the different like a huge mesh of different legends for vampires, but a majority of them, yeah, when you talk about the Strigoi. If you kill the lead or the main vampire, then it's supposed to free everybody, so
2: And then it uh flash um so they they kinda come up with a plan that they need and they figure out that they need some weapons. And then it goes to the football stadium and Betty's talking to Archie and like about, Hey, have you seen Ronnie? I can't find him. Oh, have you also have you seen Veronica at all? Neither of them have seen her And Reggie's missing as well Like wondering what he's run off to But obviously he's Well Has been in the game So they're wondering Yeah
1: Where where he's disappeared to afterwards Because when Betty mentions it Archie's like Oh yeah I totally go thank him For having my back all game Man he was a beast today
2: And then it goes to the next page Which looks like He's making out with some girl Reggie And then he turns his face And his eyes are all red And he's been biting her He's basically making her lunch Which is why he was so badass In the football game So he's a vampire now Oh yeah and that's the end of that one, and uh, I-, I liked it. I-, I like stories like that. It's a it's your classic vampire kind of teenage story, like had some violence, had some, you know, I mean, the story was good, like some cool characters, like bringing in, you know, it's a different take of the Arch, the Archie universe seems to be there, all sorts of different takes on it lately, but with the success of Riverdale and all that stuff, but I liked it. I was impressed with it. I give it like a three and a half. Cool.
1: Um, Score wise, you know, I fall to I like the art in it a lot, only because it's like sort of like it's really good. But the color palette to it has this like almost old school horror feel to the art, which I think is really cool. And like when when Ronnie turns her head and like scares scares the hell of the nerd, like it's it's awesome. And then when we see her in her weird nightmare or low blood nightmare and turning into a monster, like it's it looks creepy as hell. Yeah, So, I like, mean, it's awesome.
2: It was, it's kind of a mix between, like, if if this was a movie, it would remind me of a mix between, like, The Lost Boys and that movie Disturbing Behavior, kind of, like. Oh, yeah. I, like, that. I, I kind of feel, because it's high school, but it's, like, the violence. That's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and i give it three and a half, also. I mean, the, the whole Archie House, which is what they call it, that's the, the line of Archie comics that are scary ones, like, all those have been really good for different reasons. I mean, I'll give you the... The uh, Afterlife with Archie is great, but it also came, like, it was the first one. That's the whole Walking Dead mixed with Archie, and it's great. But they have, uh, what is it, Hunger with Jughead, where he's a werewolf, and that's awesome. Um, the two The stories don't connect to each other. The only ones that sort of connect, I guess Sabrina, when it first, when Afterlife first started, Sabrina connected to it. Now, Sabrina's got her own series, but it's separate, too, and it's, like, it's way more like hardcore witchery it's not it's not cute and funny it's definitely more culty but they've done pretty good with all of them I mean, I'll give you the the Sabrina series that's a little rough for me but it it's not bad it's, it's like classic television grip style so so the, yeah I've, I've been pretty impressed with what they've done and this van Pronica thing yeah I dig it
2: it's cool I'd be curious to see what they do in the future of this universe, of the horror universe. Right. Um, I like Cheryl Blossom. I'm going to see where they go with her.
1: Well, she definitely cameos in the beginning of this storyline. I don't know if we'll see her again in the first issue she shows up, not in the second issue. But yeah, as a thing, she's the only one that hasn't got her own weird spin. I mean, in Hunger, Betty's basically a vampire hunter, or a werewolf hunter, excuse me. So I, be, I can't... I'd be surprised if we don't see something for Cheryl at some point. Cool. All right, well, let's move on to uh, A Walk Through Hell. This is uh, issue number one, and it's from Aftershock Comics.
2: Garth Ennis' new book.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's writ- written by Garth Ennis. Uh, the art from it is by uh, Goran... Goran... Sazuka?
2: Sazuka. Sazuka. If I pronounce that wrong, sorry about that. I think it's Goran. I guess that makes sense. You want to make him like a 1950s sci-fi... Villain. <laughs> Goran. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Either yeah. way. <laughs> I wonder if
1: that's how he feels about it. <laughs> Anyhow, so a walk through hell, right? So the way the book like launches, we're in the middle of what appears to be shopping season for Christmas, and we have like a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband wife combo walking through the mall. She's carrying the baby, like in one of those baby harnesses. And he's carrying a bunch of packages, and the two of them are talking about setting their parents up on a date, which is kind of weird.
2: And he's like a hipster-looking Brian Cranston.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does look at Brian Cranston a lot, actually. But with the Oliver Queen-like trimmed beard. Right. And uh during this entire thing, like, do we have their dialogue and them talking, and then we have what's playing as like a monologue along with it? Talking about this. This is one of the easiest moments of the whole thing, which is like a weird... Like somebody's reflecting what's happening, but it's happening for us for the first time. And uh, when we get to page two, we get the first big, like, shocking reveal, and it's that a gunman has entered the mall. And one of the first things we see is him shoot the mom and baby in the faces. Well, in the baby's face at least, and like leaves the husband alone. And the voice monologue is talking about the yeah, how he, has, how, he the, how he has to relive that every day of his life watching the two of them die right next to him with nothing you can do about it. And then we see some other people get shot, and eventually the shooter turns the gun on himself. And it's just crazy. Um, that leads us to join a female in bed in sheets. Um, she's sort of asleep, but like having a nightmare. And then we meet another fella who's uh, in a business suit.
2: He, she just keeps screaming, no, don't, no, don't, over and over again.
1: Oh, right, yeah, like, as she's dreaming. So we basically meet two new characters on the next page. The, the woman in bed, which later we find out is a an FBI agent. And then the male who's um, in, you know, suit and tie on the way to work reading his Twitter blog. And his Twitter blog's talking about the shooting and talking about how everything's so PC and how it just about the current culture in America pretty much is what it's about.
2: About gun control. And yeah. How it was, was it because she, the, per, the woman in the mall that died was first was because she was Asian or, it was right. like, well, what about everybody else that died? It's just the, the normal argument that goes on. Yeah, on and the same nonsense. You see on
1: Twitter all the day, especially when something happens, it's crazy. Anyhow, well, he's on the road, on the way to we find out pick her up, and he meets her at home, and of course picks her up to, for the two of them to go meet a couple other FBI agents, trying to decide what to do, or who's going to be assigned to what area this part of the day. And uh, so they join the two for lunch, going over part of what was an old case, which we don't really get a whole lot of the old case in here, so I'm assuming at some point that has got to come into play, but they're all reviewing old notes and talking about that over lunch, and then one group decides they're going to go deal with this warehouse situation, and the other group's going to go off to deal with something to do with the mall, which is the shooting. And there's some banter back and forth, so clearly they've all worked together for a while or whatever. Anyway, eventually, so we have one group go to deal with the shooting, and then the other group goes to deal with this warehouse problem, which the guys going to deal with the warehouse are like, this is something the local PD should handle, and they're like, yeah, that's the problem. Local PD was already sent, and nothing's happening. So our two agents go to the house where the uh, man who did the shooting lived, and we're talking about how he had a normal family, he had a good job. Like, there's no reason for him to go on this weird rampage out of nowhere. He didn't even own a gun before, like, the previous month or something. So, like, out of nowhere, the dude just loses it. And neither of them can really understand why.
2: Then they show up in this parking lot. Of this warehouse, they're going to
1: right. Well, they 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 haven't heard back from the other group. The other two partners that they sent uh, haven't contacted back. Like they called right before they entered the warehouse, and then we've heard nothing. So they decide, well, I guess we should probably go down there too. And that's when we join them outside the warehouse in this parking lot. And granted, when they rent the house, they they found some other some other paperwork that might have shed some light on something that they hint at, but we don't really get a lot of that either.
2: Very vague up to this point.
1: Well, yeah, as far as, like, what they learned in the house is still questionable. But, yeah, so the whole reason they went to the warehouse is because the other guys called before they went in, and then we haven't heard anything back since. So either they all went on vacation or took a break or they're still in the warehouse, which begs the question, why are they still in that warehouse hours later on something that should have been simple?
2: And they show up in the SWAT. They're the new, well, the, the main partners that you see. Or asking all these questions, and they're like, "Well, um, we did do all that." And They're like, "What about the SWAT team?" And like, "Well, um, yeah, they all came back out." And they're sitting in the vehicle, and
1: they talk about how they sent them in. They all came out thirty seconds later, all with like out. freaked out, fears of dread, like stuff like they got spooked or something. And uh, basically, the reason they hadn't called that in is because they were afraid of what how bad it would look to the other to or to the FBI, I guess. Which, I guess, makes sense. I mean, if you send your your heavy hitter guys in there and, two, like, 30 seconds later they come out and hide in their van, that is pretty weird. And it would make you look bad as a police department, I guess. But that leads to our, our group deciding that they're going to go inside and uh, they're going to see what the hell is going on. From there, we cut to, like, part of the most disturbing part of this whole particular issue. Like, we join the SWAT team in the van and they're all talking to each other about how how crazy it is, and how they are just so not even like so much afraid. Just like they're they're they, it's like they're afraid of impending doom. And as they're talking about their, like, is there anything we can do? We need to call somebody. They're like it won't make any difference. You can't call anyone. And that leads to the group of them pointing their guns at each other's heads,
2: like across the van,
1: like like All execution style against each other, and not like in fits of rage, but in like this is the only way to get out. Because what's coming is way worse. And from there, we wind up finding one of the uh, other officers catches them after the shooting. And uh, once they realize what's happened, they turn to try to catch the FBI agents before they go into the warehouse. But by the time he gets over there, they've already been gone inside for like 30 seconds or something. And uh, we join them inside as they're searching around, and so far they haven't found anything. And that's kind of where it leaves us. So... This impending doom, whatever it is, whatever it was, spooked them all so bad that the only way they could escape it was to kill each other, as like a mercy save you kind of killing, which is crazy. And uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's unsettling, like very unsettling. Uh, Josh, do you have a score for that book? Um,
2: I have like a two. It's so vague that I mean, I know it's an issue number one. But it's so vague. It's like nothing, and it's like okay. But it'd be hard for me to pick up this book and want to pick up number two. It's just like, mm. and there's some really cool things in it, like the execution style of the SWAT team, like just holding guns at each other's heads across the panel. Eight of them was a really cool scene, like a cool, like the artist drew that, that was that was pretty rad. But overall, I was just kind of disappointed. Mm. Usually, like I would have been in Gar- Garthena's kind of. I just had higher hopes. I mean, maybe, maybe he I don't know, needed to give just a little bit more.
1: Um, you know, Garthian is—I can take or leave. Uh, I can punish stuff I like a lot his cross stuff. I thought was shock value for shock value. His boys stuff. I thought was shock value for shock value. It was good, and the boys was good, but a lot of it was shock value for the sake of it. And that—that that doesn't kill anything story-wise, but for me, it wasn't 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 until a turn on for me with the boys. This particular book, like, it's just so crazy. I mean, I was interested enough to follow it forward to the second issue only because it's just so, like, if this was a TV series, yeah, the closing would be a little hard. But as far as, like, the introduction of things, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know without reading two yet whether I would chase it forward after that or not. Just because we've only learned a little bit about our detectives, our main characters. And if this was like, like I said, if this is like a TV show, all that stuff with the officers in the truck is so intense that it's just crazy. And whatever it is they're afraid of, I mean, the book's titled Walk Through Hell, so I have to assume the hell is coming. And what that means, I'm in. <laughs> Only because of that. After issue two, I guess we'll see. I don't know. I don't know but after that. But for a first issue, it wasn't bad. But like you said, I kind of wish the cliffhanger was a little more than just the two of them in the warehouse. Right. So that part I felt kind of felt short, but what do I know? But yeah, I give it a two also. The art's good. It's an interesting concept, but I kind of wish there was a little more at the end.
2: All right. I think on something that dry in that, like if it would have been a TV show, like you said, like the acting would have carried it.
1: Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. If this, if this was like an episode of a show, you'd be a lot more sold probably on the way the characters interact with each other, at least the two detectives. But it is a little dry, but it's also the first time we've really met them. So if it was a movie, you'd be relying on the actors to sell it to you. And like the guys in the truck, man, it's intense as hell. If it was a show or a movie, that would just be amplified. Right. Because of how crazy it is.
2: But Speaking of shows.
1: Speaking of shows, we move on to X-Files. So to join some more FBI folks. Hey, <laughs> like that, no? Okay. Uh, we do FBI Case Files number one. And This is uh, case files, the Florida Man. FBI case files. No, X, uh, X Files. files case, X Files, case files, Florida Man number one. I'm pretty sure is the full title, <laughs> which is
2: a lot of words. A mouthful.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, it's a yeah, it's a heck of a lot for one one particular title. All right, And this issue is written by uh, Delilah Dawson, and the art is by
2: um, Alina Casagrande. All
1: right. And this is, uh, for a while, X-Files has been with IDW, and the majority of the stuff they've done has been pretty good. I mean, I haven't read all of it, but the ones I've read, I've liked. So, anyway, so we open up with this first issue, um, and we are joining Fox and Mulder, or Fox and Scully, man, <laughs> that's bad.
2: Scully and Mulder? Yeah. Scully
1: and Mulder? <laughs> Something like that. Both exiting a plane. Uh in Ocala, Florida, and they give us the dates, 2017, in the book, so timeline-wise. And uh, as they exit the plane, like, Mulder is not okay with the heat, and he talks about how (laughs) people that talk about dry heat and wet heat have never experienced the two things together because it's like walking through soup. And and I thought, (laughs) man, that is actually a hilarious way to describe that because, yeah, man. And throughout the story, he's plagued by this (laughs) terrible heat and weather and terrible sweating, like, throughout the entire show. Uh, whereas Scully doesn't seem to have exactly the same problem with it, but, you know, that's a guy thing, I guess. Anyhow, so the two of them uh, are on the way to this small town where there are issues of this, what they call the Florida Man, have happened, and we got dead bodies showing up, and the two of them are talking about it, and they go over a batch of news clippings and talk about how it's possible it's just bath salts. Or meth,
2: just meth and bath salt attacks. <laughs> right, people eating each other's faces because they took bad drugs.
1: Right. So, and, and of course, Fox is kind of like, "Oh no, it could be something else, at least a little bit." And she's like, "Yeah, no, this is what it's going to be. That's how things always work." And uh, as they're driving along, so at, so they stop at a diner. That's where they're going over all the all the uh, file stuff and all the possibilities. And of course, Scully is of the opinion don't make it more than it is Mulder, which is normal for the show. So that all fits well. Um, they leave and the way out the door, Mulder's like asking to the register what she can do about sending him with a glass of ice or with a cup of ice. And, uh, Scully's like, you really need to try to adjust the way you appear because you're the idea of us both having like government meaning. Like, what do you call it when? how she say it? That's oh, it's written in here. She talks about his appearance not selling the idea of are having authority because the way he's shuffled from the heat which I thought was hilarious because in my head I'm just like David Duchovny in a messy shirt with all buttons, stupid and whatever. Anyway, it's funny. Anyhow, so we join the two of them in the car, and now they're traveling to this small town that's out in the middle of nowhere. And along the road, they they wind up seeing a street vendor, sell on like a side, not even a street, because they're driving on like a two-lane highway. But there's a guy out there with a sun, like a sunshade set up, selling art. And so Mulder's like, we should stop. And she's like, oh, come on, dude, seriously? And the two of them stop. Of course, he gets out, puts on his jacket, goes over and starts talking to the artist. And the artist starts talking about how back in the 50s and 60s, there was a whole movement about art and...
2: Artists selling things on the side. They were called the uh, highway men. Right. And they were artists who sold paintings on the side of the road because that was the best way to get... Because the- they couldn't get their art put into um, galleries and stuff.
1: Right. And of course, there's happens to be one that is very alien slash Egyptian. And, you know, Mulder's a sucker for anything with a flying saucer. So he wants to buy one of the paintings from the guy. And in the process of talking to him, of course, Scully comes over and she starts talking with him too and starts asking about how he's influenced by Egypt. And he talks about how Egypt is very similar to Florida in people and heat and water. And all these different things that are similar, which I mean, a lot of cities are similar that way too. But the way he delivers it's pretty good.
2: And that then, how how Egypt wasn't always just sand,
1: right? And then uh, he's like, "Oh, so you two are a couple?" And she's like, "Kind of, in in not the normal convention." And then she's like, "I guess he's taking this one." And the guy's like, "Oh yeah." So it's a kind of cool nod to the two of their weird relationship. Anyhow, so they buy the painting and then on the road they go. And part through so now we're a little farther down the road and uh Mulder has her stop again because there's this giant like turtle on this in the middle or on the side of the it's road. A snapping turtle. Yeah, and he like investigates that for a second, like and she's like, I think the heat's getting to you, man. Like you're you're acting weird and he about gets his hand bit by the thing and he's like, This is like a freaking dinosaur <laughs> which I thought was hilarious too. Uh, and she's like, yeah, you need to get back in the car. Like, I think the heat's just making you crazy, man. And so they drive on a little farther, and they come into the beginning of this town, and there's a whole bunch of folks out at, like, a church bazaar gallery or, like, a not gallery, like a church auction kind of thing going on or some type of church event. And there's a it's whole true, lot of people festivities. out Festivities. Right. And, like, Scully's like, this seems weird. And he's like, either we're both having a delusion or this town is way more normal and, like, there's a lot of people that live here which doesn't make any sense because it's in the middle of nowhere. And the two of them have an appointment, of course, to meet with the sheriff. And so the two of them talk for a second about that before they enter the building, about whether he's going to be sweet or sour. And she's like, no one's ever happy to see us, Mulder. Not ever. And so when they get into the station, of course, most of the officers t- treat them like, what are you guys doing outsider style? And they come to the sheriff, and the sheriff like sitting back in his, in his chair with his feet up on his desk, and he's full-on like alligator boot style. And of course, he's like, we don't need no outsiders looking into our problems, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, well, we have, you know, these cases we gotta try to deal with and problems with these Florida man sightings. And of course, he writes it off as just being methodics, killing methodics, and explains how on the other side of the tracks, you have a different style of life. You live in the trailers, make meth, new people move in to get close to the meth, eventually you die, and since the swamp's right there, they put you in the swamp, and the gators eat you. Cycle of life. And so Mulder takes from that, oh, so you said the problem is in the trailers, and that's where they make the meth. Thanks. So basically got everything he needed from the dude when he tried to explain his version of the circle of life while he was trying to shoo them away. Pretty much is what the cop was trying to do. Of course, that leads the two of them to be more interested, and Mulder to have an idea where they need to go. Of course, the other side of the railroad tracks, because that's where everything's dangerous. Anyhow, so they decide to... Uh, go through town a little bit and get kind of a lay of the land on the way to their hotel and they come across this weird, weird like souvenir shop for the most part and it's uh it's Big Steve's Gator World is the name of it and Miller's like we can't not stop which in my head is just hilarious so they enter into Big Steve's <laughs> Gator World and inside there's like all kinds of, like, stuffed gators, gator heads, gator skulls. And there's like, a fair amount of them posed, like, standing up almost like e- Egyptian Ankh-style or, like, Godzilla-style is how the things look. And eventually they meet Steve, who looks like a biker from, I don't know, any biker group, I guess. Seems, you know, fairly normal for a biker guy. And uh, so they start asking questions. And, of course, he's pretty happy at first to just answer questions and try to sell him stuff. And eventually he realizes they're not going to buy anything. And he tells him that, uh what is it that kills a cat? Curiosity. Curiosity. And in the process of that, of course, his cat jumps up on the table just in time for it to be in the shop. Oh, it's a stuffed cat, I think.
2: Is it? Yeah. Yeah, oh, well, because it's not there and then it's there. Yeah, so you think he takes it from under the counter. And the, oh, is that what happened? a curiosity kills the cat and oh, he it's a dead stuffed cat. okay. The counter.
1: That explains why the cat doesn't look like it's moving. Well, it's a comic book, so you never really know if it's moving, but that makes that even funnier. First time around, I thought, how'd that cat get there? But I never took it as being a stuffed cat. Good on you. That's hilarious. <laughs> See, you're funnier now. Dang, man. I didn't realize it was supposed to be a stuffed cat, but that makes a lot of sense.
2: Everything in there is stuffed.
1: Which also makes a lot of sense, too. Anyway, so they decide to leave because um, Mulder couldn't convince Scully she needed an alligator head.
2: No, that's not what happens. Yeah, it is. No. He basically makes them. He goes, hey, where's the bath salts? And the guy's like, <laughs> dude, what are you talking about? I don't have drugs here. Get out of my store. Yeah, like, just, super jerk style. Like, this straight up ask this guy, like.
1: Well, it was pretty funny because earlier she says, with all your shaking and, like, your sweating, it's only a matter of time before they find you to sell you things so you look like you need it. Which is pretty funny, too. Right. So, anyway, after they leave the shop, um, we wind up seeing, getting this close up of a hobo guy sitting there who's trying to panhandle for money to buy food. And, uh, the two of them go to their hotel finally. And they're inside trying to check in and they hear yelling out in the street. And that alerts them both to run outside and try to see what's going on. And the hobo guy, he's got a hold of himself, a lady who's pregnant, who's I guess just crossing the street or whatever. And he's shaking her and he's yelling at her. And it becomes dangerous enough that Scully feels like she has to draw her gun. And then. Trying to uh, eat her, I think. Well, he, he lunges at Fox afterwards. Like Fox gets in the middle of him
2: and he starts wrestling a dude. His mouths all, like, open and, like...
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, he's definitely, like, crazy. Foaming at the mouth style. So Scully pops a pops a cap in him. She also, when in the shooting, she actually hit the girl in the arm, too. But, uh, yeah, so Fox wrestles the dude for a minute. The dude basically disarms and throws Fox to the ground, which happens pretty normally. And then he comes after the lady. And when he's coming after the lady the second time around, that's when he's, like, all frothy at the mouth, crazy. And that's when Scully pops him. Afterwards, she starts attending to the girl's wounded arm and tells Fox to go search the body. And He's like, oh yeah, because that's what I really need, is to search a body and get stabbed with a needle, because I haven't had that happen yet. Which is, it, he says it better than I did. But it's, yeah, it was good. In the process of him searching the body, of course he finds packs of uh, of bath salts. And then underneath the dude's shirt, which is slightly ripped, he sees like this crazy burn scarification mark on the dude. And he's like, what's this? Dun, dun, dun. And that's what leads us to our second volume, our second issue. Well,
2: it looks like the same Egyptian writing stuff that was on the painting. It does.
1: So, like, as a thing in general, me or man along the road that was the art vendor isn't all legit. Anyhow, um, score-wise, I don't know, I liked it a lot, actually. Like, as far as the setup, I give it a three. I thought the writing was fun. I like how the two of them sort of play off each other. I, I could easily see this being an episode, like, easily. Um, I liked the art a lot. I thought the art was pretty good. Uh, there are a few issues, background, well, not issues. There's a few backgrounds that are kind of, that were lackluster, but that doesn't kill the book by any means. I still thought it was good. So, yeah, I give it a three. Awesome. Um,
2: I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't think I was going to, because I was like, I don't know, X-Files is a comic book? Like, come on. And... After having read the other one that we did, um, "Tripping the Hell" one,
1: "A Walk Through Hell,"
2: I was like, "Yeah, another TV show style comic." And I was, and this one was done the exact opposite. It was, it gave you just enough. It was entertaining. You believed in the characters. Um, yeah, like you said, it could have been very easily. It was written like that. They actually talk. Could have been an episode. And I don't watch a ton X Files. When I do, I enjoy it. But I haven't watched a ton. And I enjoyed the issue a lot. Like I thought it was cool. So um I give it a three and a half. Almost a four. I probably I'd go so far as to say if the art was a little bit better. Like if they, you know, had somebody like um I don't know. Ed McGinnis on it. Oh my god. I'd give and it a Ed, four. Ed McGinnis would make no sense for the X Files.
1: Man, Mulder wouldn't just be sweating and be sweating and transforming into the Hulk.
2: I'd say J. Scott Campbell, but he would just draw both of them in sexy poses the whole time, so. I mean, that wouldn't do us any I mean, good either. So. No
1: way that should tell a story at all. Man.
2: No, it was good. I, I really enjoyed it. It's one of those ones that I almost didn't even notice the art because the writing was so good.
1: Yeah, the story was really good. The, art, the art's really good too. I mean, the only only the only couple places with a white out background, most of it was I think for effect actually. Because when they do tra- charges with the froppy mouth, it's like the background drops away. So it's almost like a selling point for the action. So I don't really have a problem with it. I I just when I see blank panels, I'm kind of like, "Man, I get why they did it." It makes makes perfect sense actually. But I'm complaining so there you go. There you go. Bum, bum, bum. But I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was great. You do complain a lot. Man, whatever. All right. Uh, so let's move on to Man of Steel number one.
2: Man of Steel number one. We're is real stoked on this book.
1: Written by Brian Michael Bendis.
2: Bendis' first run as Superman. Yep. And Ivan Rice is the pencils. Yep. And it stops, or starts off, boom, fire and space and a planet. Krypton, really big words. Oh, yeah, like many, shot from space. Many years ago, as right. it says. And there's this... So if you haven't read Action No. 700, you're not going to know who this character is. If you did read Action 700...
1: 1,000, mean? Or
2: 1,000, yep. yeah, sorry, 700. Okay. I, don't know why I said that. Um, 1,000, He, it's the guy that shows up at the very last story of Action Comics 1,000, the big bad guy that Superman's fighting. Rogue
1: Lazar, I think is what it is. Yeah. I'm not sure how you're actually supposed to pronounce it because it's separated in two words. But...
2: Rogol, yeah, R-O-G-O-L, Czar. Yeah. Um, but it's him trying to convince these gigantic blue hologram floaty head things, One, only one of them which I really recognize, um, and that's one that's a guardian.
1: From Green Lantern, yeah. Green
2: Lantern Guardians. Um, trying to convince them that Krypton has uh, overstepped their bounds and that uh, they need to basically exterminate Every Kryptonian and Krypton in general, because they're just a plague on the universe.
1: Right, they're growing too big and too too fast, and they're trying to expand their grasp in the world. They're only going to cause problems in the universe.
2: And then it uh it goes to um kind of a confrontation between uh, Firefly and Killer Moth. Yep, and they're like um in, in modern day uh, Metropolis. Yeah, modern day Metropolis now, and like um. Fireflies just in his bathrobe and, like, uh, kind of like, I don't know who you are. And he's like, I'm killing Moth. He's like, All right. And they're sitting there, kind of just like chatting and like he's shaking him down. And uh, he says the wrong thing. He says, uh, Put your hands up. And he's like, What are you doing? He listens for stuff like that. And he's like, What are you talking about? He's in Tanzania. I was paying attention. And he's like, No. And all of a sudden, Superman bursts through and pulls him out the window. Both of them, actually. Right, because he's been uh, Firefly has been hiding out of Metropolis. He thought like hiding in plain sight was kind of the the thing to do, and he's like, as long as you don't say the key words, and uh,
1: Superman won't find you.
2: And uh, Killer Moth's like, oh god, please don't drop me. And he's just like, he's like, I don't do that. And and uh, Firefly's like, Batman does it all the time. He's like, yeah, but it's funny when he does it. It's <laughs> awesome. Like already the writing's fantastic. I mean, that's pretty good. Um, and it's like classic Superman, like. Big spread page, great art, like, got the red undies back, just, uh, full-on awesome. And then it, uh, it's him, like, with the the Daily Planet Globe in the background, listening and doing the Superman thing, this kind of, like, listening over Metropolis, listening for things that, you know, he does, that he does you know, keywords and things to try, and, and he hears this song, and he's really into the song, and he's like, oh, and he was so absorbed in the song that he, uh. He's like, dang it! I uh, I didn't hear the screams. I didn't hear him right. And so he gets there and he has to rush. And there's a fire in a building. And he saves it, like the fire the firefighters all this floor and this floor. Superman and he goes and he saves them. And uh, the last person he saves is this little girl <laughs> that swears a lot with two puppies. It's pretty funny. And he's like language, and she swears more. <laughs> and uh, he does this like Superman-esque, like swirly, sucking, blowy uh, fire like pull the fire out of the building right? with uh, you know pressure and air and wind and things. And,
1: uh, yeah, he uses the sewer breath to suck the fire out and then let it burn on himself, which has nothing to feed it. So it basically puts the fire out.
2: And then he's uh, kind of going through the building checking for evidence and things like that because he knows it's, there's but there's too many... Because other buildings have been catching fire a lot in Metropolis lately, and he's like, is it an elect- electrical thing? It's not... Building codes up to, to date. He's like, yeah, it seems like an arson thing, and that's when he runs into the new fire chief, Melody Moore, and uh, she's she seems, I think she's drawn to be quite foxy, right? And uh, maybe a possible homewrecker. Well, not, if, it, not if it was if it was yeah. somebody else, right? And uh, but Superman's too good for that. And she's like, "Am I as tall as Wonder Woman?" She's she's convinced it's arson as well, and they talk about that for a minute And Madison. she's like, "Am I as tall? Am I taller than Wonder Woman?" He's like, "You are actually." And she's like, "I knew it."
1: <laughs> well, yeah, he he puts her on the path of you need to get this out to the invest, the reporting investigating group over at the Daily Planet. You should go in there and ask for uh, Lois Lane and Clark Kent. Just ask for Kent. Like, he'll 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 get your story out to the media to try to alert people there's an arson to keep their eyes open and stuff.
2: And then she says some things under her breath, and then she's like, "Oh, dang it, it's stupid!" He has super hearing, and he like kind of smiles and looks back. Yeah, it's pretty cute. And then it goes back to then, and it's that Rogol's Lazar fighting some gigantic monster, and uh, a guardian shows up. And he's just like, this is an interesting place to live. He's like, well, I have to keep up my uh, strength and my fighting skills in the off-season from hunting Kryptonians, basically. Yeah, whenever the
1: war is not happening, I figure I'll to keep myself strong, and that's how
2: I do it here. And he's like, "Uh, well, just so you know, um, we can't do anything because the Kryptonians haven't really done anything, so you're kind of on your own, dude. Yeah, he basically tells them the council has decided
1: that they're not with his proposal and that uh, they don't want him to do anything.
2: And he thinks somebody's, like, paid him off. And he's yeah. he's pissed off, so...
1: He's super pissed at the Guardian before he before he leaves, and he's like, who is the page to decide with the Kryptonians? Oh, a conspiracy against me, blah, 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 blah.
2: And then it flashes back to now, and it's uh, Clark sitting at his desk typing some stuff up, and Perry's like, oh, I got this great story for me. And he's like, yeah, arson. And he's like, um, that's not what I meant by a great story. That's just a regular story. And then it's just, uh, um, he's like, Superman is there according to reports. And they're like, uh, all right. Like, it's like, no big deal. Like,
1: and it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty funny the way it happens because he's like, yeah, I got arson. And he's, Perry's like, arson's nothing, dude. And then, of course, Jimmy Olsen chimes in with the, oh, Superman is supposed to be there. And he's like, oh, I guess it'll work.
2: And then it, uh, flashes to him home. And, uh, John standing there in his, his, Shirt and cape, but sh- he's gotten a gross spurt, and he's the shirt's a little too short for him now. And he's just like, "Mom says she doesn't have any time to fix it, and that I should join the legion of kids that are old enough to fix their own problems,"
1: <laughs> which is pretty funny. And,
2: uh, and they're like chatting about just hanging out in the kitchen, like talking about the day. Then all of a sudden, they're, like they're all kind of like a flash, and Lois sales Clark with question marks and. It just whites out into "Dad, what is O, Clark?" and then nothing. It's just white, They're like a big old cliffhanger.
1: So whatever's come to come to them is something that none of them expected. Dun dun dun.
2: Dun dun dun. Right. So I was very I liked it a lot because I love Superman. This was like probably one of the the first time in a long time it's been like to me like just a straight up cool Superman story. But just to start fresh, it's cool, it's like an interesting, like a potential for a really awesome villain. I don't know. I was real stoked on it. So, I give it a four. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not bad. It's, a, it's an interesting story. Like, the setup for it, and this guy's coming out once a week until it's over and six issues. So, it's coming out super fast and it's all prior to the actual launch of Brian Michael Bendis' normal Superman series, which he's also taking reaction comics as well, which... For folks who have been reading Superman, it's kind of a rough batch because the stuff that was being done by the groups before, like Dan Jurgens stuff was, it was, is good. This is a fresh take and new, well not a fresh take, this is, this is a new writer and like the way the story starts is very like apple, is very apple pie Superman so it's awesome and like the neat little catches in there like with the girl whispering under her breath and Firefly and uh, Killer Moth both like, you don't go to Metropolis, you don't go to Metropolis because Superman will catch you and the two of them like, Basically, showing up, showing down each or going after each other over money that one owes the other and owes them, and when Superman catches them, it's all like it's just so funny. The whole Batman line is just
2: hilarious, and that's I think that when Superman is written well, all those things are amazing. Like the family aspect of it; he's a family man, and he cares about people, and he cares about like him sitting there listening to some woman sing a song that. He recognizes and he's heard before, but it's also the best he's ever heard it be be saying. And his son growing up and like his clothes are too small for him because he had a growth spurt. And it's just funny, yeah. You know, just like his interaction with Perry and Jimmy and like yeah, it just had all the, had everything that I love about a Superman story.
1: Sure, score wise, I give it a three, three, no, three and a half. I mean, it was good. The art's really great. The story's really neat. I don't like if we're divorcing ourselves from the old stories. And so that part still makes me a little hesitant about whether I'm going to completely on board with this whole thing, but ultimately I don't have a choice, so you just have to move forward. Anyhow, so yeah, I give it three and a half. Neat. I'm interested to see, like, what they do with it. I mean, again, Rogue Lazar's full, like, pitch for action if you didn't hear the previous episode. Like, thoughts about Rogue Lazar in general. So I guess if you want that, go back a couple episodes. Um, so let's go and run the, uh, interview from, uh, Denver Comic Con. This is David Peppos. So we'll run that and uh, then we'll be back with you in
0: a second. Hi there, this is Joel. And Destiny. And we're here with uh, David Peppos, who's the writer of Spencer and Locke. Hi. Um, Yeah, we're going to do a quick interview for the podcast. I don't know if we need to be saying that because we're on the podcast right now, (laughs) (laughs) technically, aren't we? We're, we're new at this. You're our
3: first one, and we were like, sweet, we'll talk to the guy that we've talked to before. He seems nice. Thank you. It's a huge honor, and I, I'm so I'm so glad to be on here. So, thank you guys for having me. Yeah. So, uh, my first question for you was kind of what inspired you to get into comic book writing? Oh, boy. You know, it, it was a really long process to get here. Um, I love comics my entire life, but uh, it took me a while to come to the idea of actually writing one of my own. Um, I interned at DC Comics out of college in their editorial department, uh, that was in 2008. So circa Batman R.I.P. and Final Crisis. Of course, that was also circa uh, a recession. So there were no jobs. Um, But I managed to hold on to the industry by my fingernails, uh, working at Newsarama.com. I was the reviews editors there. And, um, yeah, for a while, I I was reading books and really digging them. Um, But there was a period where I wasn't uh, connecting to books the way I wanted to. And um, I kind of... fallen away from my dreams of being an editor so I thought mm, maybe I should just put my money where my mouth is and make the kind of comic that I would want to read so um, this, this kind of happened on a lark though I, I wrote the first script just to see how it felt and then I wrote a whole treatment to see how that felt and then I found an artist to draw some pitch pages just to see what it looked like and then I just pitched it around kind of for funsies and then suddenly a publisher was like hey when can you get this book done and I was like oh this is real, um, so yeah. I mean, it, it, it was, but you know, I did every possible safe job I could before this, um, and, and then finally, I uh, after I finished doing all those, and uh, I uh, finally decided to take the leap. Nice, that's yes. awesome.
0: So, so we know that Spencer and Locke is kind of influenced a little bit by Calvin and Hobbes. What else inspired you to kind of write this whole for sure? Story?
3: Well, you know, it's funny you say that because um, I'm a big fan of mashup music. Things like uh, Nine Inch Nails meets Call Me Maybe, like songs that should not go together but do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, uh, why hasn't anybody tried this with comics? So uh, Frank Miller uh, was actually the first uh, comics writer uh, for me as a kid that made me realize that real people wrote these. This was not like made in a committee. There's a real voice involved that really stood out to me. And so I thought, you know, my first book, I'd love to do something kind of in that vein. And I thought, what would be the weirdest thing to go with Frank Miller? And uh, I, I went through a couple of ideas, and they all felt very shotgun. You know, it was very one note. Um, but when I, I, I thought of Calvin and Hobbes, uh, not only did it sort of, uh, did it feel diametrically opposed, but uh, it, it felt like there was a greater message at play. I, I thought there was always something a little sinister about uh, Calvin and Hobbes' dynamic, because why doesn't he have real friends? Like, why does he have to so vividly hallucinate a best friend? What's his home life like? And so when you start thinking about that, and he's carried him as an adult, then you're like, what was his upbringing? And once I asked that question, the answers were not pretty, but that really kind of unspooled the rest of the story for me. The funny thing is, she, I, I said, there's this book coming out called Spencer and
0: Locke, like, when it first came out. And she started reading and read the whole thing. Meanwhile, <laughs> I read the entire trade paperback this morning to get ready for this interview. So because I was like, yeah, because she got it yesterday. So, Yeah, so I read through the whole thing. And one thing I was really surprised by is I was like, this could just be kind of like a slide-in story for Sin City. Like, that character could definitely exist and be like, Frank Miller's take on Calvin and
3: Hobbes, and I thought that was really awesome. I really you know, liked that part. it's funny because um, when I wrote our first issue, I wrote our first issue with no art involved, so mm-hmm. I did not know what Spencer and Locke were going to look like. Yeah. And so I had written uh, Locke's voice is very much um, like Marv from Sin City. That was kind of my big inspiration. Yes. But then when Jorge drew the characters, um, I had originally thought that Locke was going to be kind of a beefy kind of guy and Spencer would be a very thin, lanky, kind of sardonic partner. And when Jorge switched it up on me, I was like, oh, no, no, that's right, that's right. Yeah. And so um, after that, um, uh, Dwight, uh, Clive Owen's character from the movie, he became sort of uh, my muse for, for Locke, sort of this tortured figure who he's got his own personal demons that he's desperate to kind of keep down below the surface. And he's not always successful. With yeah, him. he's 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 a bad guy trying his best to be good. Yes, kind of yes, and uh, that's sort of a, a, a theme that we were really looking forward to exploring in future installments. Also, is that uh, you know this nature versus nurture question is: Are you born a bad guy? Do you become a bad one? Can you overcome and transcend your scars? Are you going to always be defined by them? Yeah, and that's really kind of the central question that's going to be uh, posed by our series. Cool,
0: awesome. Yeah. So, you sold a lot of copies here at the convention. Have you gotten any like feedback from anyone?
3: Yeah. You know, I, that's that's my favorite thing about cons, and I think this is a unique thing for this book is that uh, we we have people that I, I re, uh, affectionately refer to as uh, frequent flyers because they will come on a Friday or a Saturday, they will read the book overnight, and they will come back so excited. Yeah. And um, as a creator, there's there's nothing more heartening than that kind of reaction. Um, you know, I feel like apathy is really the only bad response. I mean, uh, thankfully, the majority of people have loved our book. There have been a few who have hated it on principle, just based on the, on the premise. And that's totally fine. We knew going in this book was going to get people talking. Yeah. And um, it's been so exciting to hear people come back who are skeptical about the book mm-hmm. and read it and be like, oh, my gosh, I love this book. Thank you for selling me on it. And uh, and so that and then it's exciting to say we we got more coming. Yeah, that's always fun. And I really dug it. I
0: Thank was you. you know, I suggested it to her and I was like, this seems like something you would like.
3: You know, it's very much the evil can evil of yeah. like crime noir comics. Um, I'm no one's more surprised than me that we stuck the landing. Yeah. Um, I part of the reason that we made this book so kind of weird and eclectic was I thought if people hate this, I'm going to be in comic book jail and never be allowed to write anything again. So I said. I want everything I would ever want in a comic in these four issues, because that way I can at least die knowing that I put it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's been the fun challenge about working on our sequel, is uh, I'm not in comic book jail, and I actually like get to do more of these things. So it's, what are some new fun things that I want to include? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, speaking on that, do you have any like other upcoming projects? Yeah, um, it, it's, it, nothing I can officially announce yeah, yet. Yeah. But um, there are uh, a handful of books that uh, we're in various stages of development on, various stages of contract negotiation. Um, we're a whole bunch of different genres. I can say uh, there's a a, a a fun twist on a rom com that uh, is is going to be down the pike soon. Uh, a, a fun sci-fi idea nice. that I'm really excited for the world to see. And then um, uh, I have a, a, a an epic fantasy uh, idea that. Uh we think we're gonna find a home for that very soon. So you're going all over the place. Going all over the place. And then of course Spencer and Locke It's my first love. Uh, I love these boys. And so we are hard at work on our sequel. We will have some news about that at San Diego Comic Con next month. And um, yeah, you know, if our sales are strong enough, I have ideas for a, a third arc that I think will blow people away. Awesome. That's really awesome. So uh
0: this stuff's all through Action Lab and Danger Zone and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, and this is a question I think everybody kind of gets asked whenever they're more at one of the smaller studios. Yeah. If you had to write a bigger project, or if you ever wanted to, like sure. DC, Marvel, like what would you think about writing?
3: Oh man! Uh, I mean, I I spend an unhealthy amount of time daydreaming about Justice League lineups. So I mean, if I could write any one book, it would definitely be the Justice League. Uh, Avengers being a close second. Um, there's so many characters I love: Superman, uh, Shazam, uh, The Flash. Iron Fist. I've got a pitch that would make your toes curl. <laughs> uh, I, uh, uh, Cloak and Dagger are two characters that are very close to my heart. Um, I think they should have been Avengers ten years ago. Uh, there's, there's, there's loads. But listen, um, you know, Marvel and DC. If you're listening, call me. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll take, I'll take any book. Um, <laughs> but what's, what's so great about creator-owned is that. Um, you can you can kind of take chances and really kind of flex your muscles a little bit, yeah. and uh, I, you know I never want to be that kind of creator who thinks they can run before they can walk, and uh, so I'm really excited sort of you know continuing to kind of cultivate my own voice and my own audience uh, with my own stuff. Yeah. And but uh, that said, uh, you know if the big two wants me, uh, they know where to find me. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs>
0: What is your go-to karaoke song?
3: Kiss from a Rose by Seal. That, that was, was such cool. a good answer to. That's my go-to, guys. That is a great go-to. Every time. Every time, though. The crowds love it. If you were stranded on a deserted
0: island, what five items would you take with you? Items could also be people. It's like this weird nihilistic viewpoint on the oh, world. man. But...
3: Um, all right. One well, well, the five most delicious people in your No, uh, <laughs> um, I I'd, I'd bring my my girlfriend and my dog. So that's nice. that's two. That's two. Um, if, if if only because I'm not sure what either of us would do without each other. Um, I would bring uh, my laptop. Just you know, uh, and maybe get a Wi-Fi card there. That counts as one <laughs> item, right? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, hopefully a satellite phone so I can get the hell off this island. Um, and. Uh, um, and
0: a, a grill. Yeah. That would be fun. Just uh, a grill. Just a grill. So awesome. With this, with the five items question, with the islands, I mean, couldn't you just take like, you know, like a house or a boat? Or yeah, right. Something that's that, just, like, that, that's a better answer. Okay. I'm so glad he never answered me this question because I would just like give the darkest answer, yeah. give him the worst stuff. If you lived in a fantasy land, would you ride a chocolate pony? Mm-hmm. Does the chocolate pony melt? That was what I was thinking. See, yeah, it's the same thing. Well, it is your fantasy land, so I'm going to say you can make it up. Um,
3: only if it let me take a little nibble.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those ones where you're like leaning down, you Just know, it's a all little, close. A little and it's love all of a bite sudden, on the ear. Yeah, the ear's <laughs> gone all of a sudden. Nice. Well, great. Thank you so much, Mr. Pipo. Thank you awesome so much. Awesome talk to you. really love the story. One last question. Where can people find you in your oh, yeah. Boss?
3: Yes, Spencer and Locke. Uh, what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? You can find this book anywhere comics are sold. Your local comic shop can order it for you uh, with the uh, pre-order code June seventeen eleven oh seven. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, comic and Kindle. Surprisingly enough, we're on Target and Walmart's websites. So anywhere you can order books, you can order Spencer and Locke. Um, and uh, now is the perfect time to get it on the ground floor because we're going to have Spencer and Locke two coming soon to a comic shop near you. Awesome! Great book. Great guy. Nice meeting. You. Thank you so much, guys. I really
1: appreciate it. All right, we want to thank uh, David again for taking time to talk with Destiny and Joel, and take thank the two of them for getting getting work done while we were up in Denver. So
2: uh, let's see. So Josh, what did you learn today? I learned that. You like all the books as long as they're not printed on newsprint.
1: <laughs> oh, that's not true. and That's a silly <laughs> thing to learn. Well, what you really should have learned is that Mulder has a sweating condition when he's in Florida. And it looks like he's on bath salts. That's what you should have learned. Because that's what I learned. Maybe he was on bath salts. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. You don't know what he does in his spare time. Pretty positive if that was the case, we would have seen it someplace in the book. I don't know. I don't know. I'm pretty good friends with that guy, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so let's do some books to watch. Um, I would suggest, now, so the, the, there's a book getting ready to come out here in the well, Captain America first. First, okay. So let me dial back for a second. So on the fourth of July here this coming week, uh, we're gonna have the new new Captain America number one. I'd say that one be a good one to get on. Um, there's a book coming out from Image here in the next, I don't know, maybe two weeks called Unnatural. I'm interested only for the sake that it's kind of bizarre, and uh, I'm interested to see what it winds up being, really. So I may, mean, I guess, look for that guy, uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider, when that comes out. I think that'll be awesome. It's a six-part miniseries. I think that'll be cool. I guess we'll see where it goes as a thing. Does anybody know who Cosmic Ghost Rider is yet? Um, I'm gonna say yes. Okay. And then want to say it was revealed. Well, if it provides the same Cosmic Ghost Rider. It was revealed back in Thanos number thirteen, I believe. So I think that'll be cool as a miniseries. I felt like there's a couple other books in there that I was like, these things are freaking awesome. But now I'm, I don't have any memory in my head about things. Oh, uh, city of, city of explorers or unexplored city of unexplored city of unexplored is that what it's called? Shoot, there's a book from Action Comics that uh, the Lost City of Explorers. That's what it's called. From what company? Uh, from Aftershock Comics. Aftershock. Yeah, I'm interested in that thing just because they teased a preview of it in the back of a couple of books, and the preview basically shows a batch of like archaeologist types that find a pool in like a old old part of a underground or old part of a city that's underground now, and it looks like just a pool of water. But when you affect it with a particular batch of frequencies or sound, it becomes a doorway. And that's kind of where the preview leaves off. But I guess the whole idea of that is exploring lost cities and other civilizations and stuff. So it's like alternate history stuff, which I think is cool. So I think that'll be pretty neat. Uh, at least the test page or the preview pages look great. So I think that'll be neat. Anyhow, uh, Josh, you have any books to watch? Um,
2: I'm loving the Avengers book.
1: Cool. Fantastic. And, and Avengers, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Superman book a lot. The Batman Wedding. Batman Catwoman Wedding is coming up. Right. going to be a big deal. You know, I wasn't reading it until we read the. until we went over it last week, but the new X Men Gold stuff. Oh, X Men Gold, yeah. Yeah, like I'm I'm excited to see where that goes.
1: Are we doing the new Miss, Miss, Mr. And Mrs. X, or Mr. and
2: Mrs. X series? Yeah, that which should be the fun. Gambit Rogue series, that should be cool too. And I heard, I'm not sure if this is what they're going to call it, but the Weapon X Force. Or something like that is what they're going to call it. It's uh, like they revealed the team finally, right? I don't remember what the title for the book was, but the new—I
1: think it's X Force, but I don't remember that. It could be Weapon X Force. Yeah, or I, 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 I thought it. I read
2: it was called Weapon X Force. So it took me a few reads to like realize that that's what they were saying, right? So maybe they're like hinting at like the return of a Wolverine to that that team. That possibly. makes
1: sense. I mean, at this point, we're having we're, all the
2: hunt or, for Wolverine stuff happen, or a Wolverine anyway. They yeah, There is like a new five. X twenty three book starting though. There is. So that's interesting because she was she's currently the
1: all new Wolverine. the all
2: new Wolverine. Yep. So I don't are they ending that book or si season your yeah. So going back to X twenty
1: three. Yep. That is
2: it still fingers crossed for uh, Red uh, uh, Red Robin solo book with spoiler. <laughs> so anybody at DC <laughs> listen to this, get on that for me. Man. Do cool. you think they're going to invite? Um, superman to the batman wedding well i assume that that would be the truth yes think he's, he's gonna be the best supposed man to, supposed to be yeah that's i think dick's gonna be the best man no it's
1: they already did a storyline about how batman chose superman
2: oh really yeah oh. Was dick mad about it
1: no well because grace is good-natured so no mm. although he did want to have him to fight hush in ultimate reality and we want to find out that hush has replaced his own face with nightwing's face <laughs> so that's only a matter of time before that comes back to be a problem Maybe. Well, the Hush is a crazy person. For a while, he's running around as Bruce Wayne whenever Batman was missing. Oh. With plastic surgery Batman, or Bruce Wayne face, excuse me. He didn't do the Batman stuff. He just did the Bruce Wayne stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. So he's since had other plastic surgery to make himself Nightwing, which will not bode well in the future, I assume. Of course he would left in the other universe, so who knows?
2: They need to do, like, cut his hands off so they know that's who that is. <laughs> We're
1: going to make sure to know who you are, Tommy. We're going to chop off your hands. Until he gets robot robot and you can't tell the difference anyway, because he's going to wear gloves.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Cut his ears sh- off. All, man. You can't get robot ears.
1: <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> you grow an ear on the back of a rat, you can probably get robot ears. Maybe. I'm just saying. You
2: can't really grow ears on the back of rats. Though. There's a
1: whole bunch of... Look on the internet, man. There's I think that was just on that of crazy episode of science. South Park. No, no, no. That's where they got it from. That's a real thing. <laughs> I don't think it works. It's just uh, like shaped like an ear. That's a real thing. That's where South Park gets all their footage from is from the Internet. Or stories from. The internet news.
2: So San Diego Comic Con's coming up.
1: Yeah. Um, let's see, two two and a half weeks. See so from be there. See si, senor. So if you listening to this podcast, you're out in the blog, you have to know what my face look like. Which you can find that on our webpage. Ah. There see? You go.
2: That's where you get myself assassinated. And also if there's somebody that if you see this going to be I stand to you, Comic Con, and you would like to see CBS try and get an interview with them.
1: That's like a tall order, but go well, on.
2: Just, does I mean just throw a suggestion out on the uh, Facebook page, sure, or the Instagram. Just like, hey, if you uh, happen to see this person out there, maybe ask them this question for me,
1: right? Or a message in the uh, comment section from this particular episode—that'd be good.
2: Yeah, just anything like that. Any kind of social media interaction, would be much obliged.
1: Sure. Oh yeah, and if you listen to us on iTunes, I don't know, like a
2: rate it and leave a comment—that helps massively.
1: Even if it's not a good... Well, it's better if it's good, but you know, at the same time, just do it.
2: Give us five stars, but... I mean, you can talk all the trash in the comments you want. <laughs> just leave five stars.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, that's true. Anyway, I think that's it.
2: And then also, CBS and me are on another podcast that you can't listen to with your kids called Never Been Done Podcast. That's true, which and you can we,
1: also find on the top 5 com website.
2: And we, uh, yeah. It's the, th- the two of us plus a buddy of ours, T Huff, and we chat movies and directors and things like that, and... It's a not rated PG, so <laughs> if you're an adult, listen away. It's funny, and if not, then... Well, I mean, I think we're funny, but um, if, <laughs> if you got kids in the car, then don't listen to it. It's I probably see. not the best choice. Especially the upcoming episode with Quint, about Quentin Tarantino.
1: Well, it's because Quentin Tarantino and his movies are going to be watched by children anyway. Not really. So Even yeah. the edited versions, probably not a good idea. So, to Key? Nope. Yeah. Not happening. Walk his other than Don't and die. one of these days, you're going to watch Face Sheriff Gavin, and he's the best thing ever. I am going to